Hey there, it's Jason. Welcome to the Jason Wright Show, where the mission is very simple. It is to improve always in all ways. Look, I am on a mission to create the absolute best version of myself. And through the Jason Wright Show, I let you know everything I'm doing to make that happen. I interview incredible, remarkable, brilliant individuals from all different walks of life. And I also try to bring you tools, tactics, and protocols that will help you in your own personal mission to improve always in always. Now, let's get started. All right, so you guys know I'm constantly trying to improve my health, always in all ways, right? I mean, that's that's my whole motto. Well, let me tell you one of the things that I do that is a great nutritious hack for doing that very thing. That is, I season my foods with pluck seasonings. You can go out to Eat Pluck right now, and you could actually save 20% on your order by using the promo code IMPROVE, because that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to improve the taste of our food, the nutrition value of our food, all these wonderful things. Pluck seasoning, my personal favorite is the zesty garlic, although last night I had some ribeye tacos, and I actually seasoned them, seasoned them with the spicy seasoning. It is so great. And look, if you don't want to use the seasoning, and you don't want to eat organ meats, and you don't want to do like like get you a big old hunk of liver or pancreas or heart. If you don't want to do that, well, then just get the pure, okay? Now, what you want to do is you want to take just the pure, which is nothing but dried organ meats, and you can put that in a protein shake or whatever. You don't even taste it. The banana, the fruit, whatever you put in your protein shake, that is going to be what you taste. You're not going to even taste the organ meat. However, if you want to add some incredible flavor and nutritional value to your meals, then I highly highly recommend you go to eat pluck and get some of the seasonings right now i'm telling you it's and look even if it didn't have the incredible nutritional value that it does it tastes delicious this will replace your salt your pepper your lowry's your tony sachets all of it the lantana I don't use any of those things anymore. The only seasonings I use right now are the zesty garlic from Pluck and the spicy from Pluck. And I haven't tried the pure yet. I need to get some of that to put into my protein shakes. As a matter of fact, I'm about to place an order right now. And I'm going to use that promo code IMPROVE so that I can save 20%. And you should too. So go out right now, spice up your food, and make it have even more nutritional density by going to eat Pluck. And then after you do that, enjoy this episode of The Jason Wright Show. All right, Dr. Carl Giordano, welcome to the Jason Wright Show. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Well, I could just say before we started recording, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics in the whole world, which is longevity, health span, which I, I, maybe you'll agree, I think health span and lifespan are two totally different things. I think that in, in the U.S., we've become very good at lifespan. It's the health span that I'm so glad to see physicians like you and Peter Tia. David Sinclair, his research, all of this is really focusing more on health span versus just keeping us alive longer. So I look forward to that. But I want, if you will, to give a little bit of background on your practice because you are actually a surgeon. And I, th I find it interesting. I am running into more and more physicians like you who have a specialization. And then you're taking that big brain of yours and you're applying it to completely different areas of medicine, in particular areas of long-term function, kind of age age reversal, and actually extending that health span that I mentioned earlier, Peter Atia that I mentioned earlier, that he was a surgeon. And then he ended up for a short period at McKinsey doing management consulting, then came back into focusing on you know, integrative medicine, precision medicine, and longevity. One of my closest friends in the whole world that's actually a business partner, Dr. Gus Vickery out in Nashville, North Carolina, same thing, was a primary care physician and now is focused more on integrative health. And now here you are, a spine mm -hmm. surgeon, and this mm -hmm. is what you're focused on. So how did that evolution take place, Doc? Sure. No, I'd love to tell you the, the, the story behind it. But just before I even get into my background, you had mentioned, you know, lifespan is popular, but we're going to focus a little bit more on health span. 
Mm. Like, I want to just make sure everybody understands they are pretty much one and the same. The, the overlap with both is tremendous. And, and we'll talk about why that is later on in, in this uh, podcast. But look, my background is largely chemistry. I actually worked at the NIH for a short period of time. I worked at Rockefeller University in New York City doing a lot of genetic work. So I've never really left that uh, behind. I've always kind of followed uh, the literature that deals with the chemical background of health and longevity. And I think, you know, as I went on to become a physician and a surgeon, I've, I've always continued to read the information that comes out over the last 30 years in this topic. Now, the problem with medicine today is a lot of us are so busy dealing with patients and our own specialty that we forget some of the basic science. And most of the science that deals with health span and lifespan today is focused primarily in the PhD literature. So if you're not reading the stuff that's published in the Journal of Bioengineering or Cell Bioengineering, and you're just reading the Journal of American Medical Association, you're not really staying current with this information. And as a lot of my uh, colleagues have said, you know, it takes years for like, somebody like Sinclair to do an experiment and then publish it. It takes another couple of years for somebody else to reproduce it and then publish it. And then it takes a couple of years to get into a technical textbook. Then it takes another couple of years to get into a medical textbook. So you can imagine it takes, you know, what we learned in medical school is almost 10, 15 years behind the current information that's out there. All the stuff we're going to talk about today, all the stuff that Athea talks about, that Sinclair talks about, it, it is largely 15 years old. And as a physician, I find it incredibly frustrating that even some of my colleagues that are great physicians just don't understand some of the science that's out there today and how valuable it is. You know, and I think sometimes we use words that are a little less accurate. Like we talk about how do we reverse, you know, aging. And it sounds like science fiction. So people just zone out. I think what we want to say is how do we decelerate the aging? And there's no question we can reverse aspects of aging, especially identified on, you know, methylation DNA techniques in your biological age categories. But the information that we're going to talk about today, namely signal molecules and how it affects you know, how it's affected by the things we do, exercise or diet, are all kind of current science today. And I, I think these kind of media is where the public can hear people talk about this and get a, a better understanding is the only way we can get this information out into the public so that they don't have to wait years to read about it or even decades to hear about it from their physicians. I, th I could not agree more. And I think that one of the things that is happening right now that's very encouraging to me is there are more people taking control of their health. Now, the challenge, I think, is I was just having this conversation with Gus Vickery yesterday, and it's trying to get those people who really they're thinking more about their car than they're thinking about their health. It's, yeah. try, it's trying to get that information to them. And it's my hope through this podcast and anyone that'll listen for people to get an understanding. And you mentioned something. Actually, I saw this in one of your videos that I thought was excellent in that this whole idea, because you're right, when you start talking about Brian Johnson, the blueprint and what all he's got going, people see that and they go, okay, there's multimillionaire that's spending, you know, I think I just read an article where he's paying his physician son, like $100,000 an hour to go with him. He's not living a life. Now, I'm not knocking yeah. him. It's great. It's fun to watch him do what he's mm -hmm. doing. But you know, he's trying to do something on another level that most ordinary people can't do. But one of the things you said that I don't think people think about quite a bit, because I, I do this, I'm constantly talking about slowing the aging process and reversing my biological age. I'm, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, Gus Vickery, that I told him, you know, I want you to keep me from turning 50 as long as possible biologically. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and I, I saw one of your videos that I thought that everyone can kind of get their brain around is we can in fact accelerate our aging if we are not doing and some of the things we are doing to do that. So I think just to kind of put a twist on this, I'm constantly like when I was talking to Matt Camberline about rapamycin and, and it, we, it's always, it always goes straight to, okay, how do we stop or start slow or start to 
reverse the biological age, but let's start, Doc, from the standpoint of what are people doing, and Lord knows there's a lot of them doing it, to to actually advance their 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 aging. So they're basically doing all the wrong things. And look, I like to ask myself the question with in every category, whether it's exercise, diet, or vitamins or signal molecules, how am I maintaining my cellular identity? Because aging, okay, it can be different things to different people, but in its simplest form, we age because our cells lose their identity. And when your cells can no longer function the way they should, the cell ages, you know, you age. Imagine every other brain cell starts to look like a skin cell. Well, that's how your brain ages. When cells lose their identity, when the, the genes lose their correct on-off pattern, you start to age. So I ask myself the question, how am I maintaining my cellular identity through the genetic mechanisms we understand? And if I am doing all the wrong things, I am accelerating my aging. So if I am nudging these genetic pathways in the wrong direction, either with smoking or with alcohol or with a lot of radiation exposure or with bad diet or with high glucose levels or lots of uh, free radicals in my system, I am doing everything I can to accelerate my biological age and my overall aging. So, you know, it's just the reverse of what we want to do to slow our, our, our aging or, or reverse or decelerate our aging. And look, I, I like to just make sure the, the listeners understand there are basically seven pathways that we are very familiar with today that we can all nudge. And I get it. Some of these are technical, but I want to get them out there because everything going forward in this discussion is going to be how are we impacting these pathways? Three of them are genetic. And, you know, if people follow this, this category, they probably are familiar with the sirtuins. Dr. Sinclair has done some fantastic work about them. Uh, so the sirtuins, AMPK and mTOR are three genetic pathways. There are the telomere pathways. There are metabolic pathways where we want to maintain our, our metabolism and our blood sugar. There are senolytic pathways where we, we want to get rid of the senolytic cells. And then there are the antioxidant pathways where we want a lot of antioxidants in our system to combat the free radicals that are constantly damaging our cell membranes, our DNA, and all of our cellular pathways. So everything we're going to talk about today, whether it's diet or exercise or supplemental signal molecules, is going to nudge all of those seven pathways in our favor. And that's what we can do today to decelerate the aging process and reverse aspects of aging. Okay. And one of the things that was, I guess, I, as I really, and gosh, you, you know, I, what's the old saying? The further you get from the shore, the deeper the water. And the more, <laughs> the, more I, the more I learn, the less I realize I know mm -hmm. at all. And it was about two years ago that, at first by reading Joel Green's book, The Immunity Code. That's where I first started to wake up to this idea of focusing on my health at the cellular level. Mm -hmm. I never, th you know, under truly understanding what the mm -hmm. mitochondria are, what, what the role is of that little powerhouse and how to keep yeah. mitochondria healthy through some of these signaling molecules you're talking about. And here's yeah. the, the, the path that I think it makes sense for us to travel because I do want to talk about Rebisana. Did I pronounce mm -hmm. that right? You did. Okay. Okay. I do want to get to Rebisana, the product that you formulated. Is that the mm -hmm. correct? I guess that's the correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I do want to, this path to lead us there. So okay. for this, because I think that it that brings a nice conclusion as we go through discussing with this audience, what the signaling molecules are, what they're targeting. And if targeted appropriately, this is where the precision comes in what the reactions are, and why it maintains that cellular integrity, and then kind of how you've taken all of this knowledge to kind of bring it together to, I guess for lack of a better word, almost a, a, a crescendo in the, as far as battling the, the aging process with Rebisana. I think it's very interesting. So let's just unpack for a moment what the role of these signaling molecules are that you've discussed and which ones that you find most beneficial as it relates to targeting aging? Sure. So basically, 
And this is not my own scientific research. This is all based upon hundreds of publications. Some of these publications go back 30, 40 years. And, and I, this, is, this is why I always found it frustrating because some of this information is not that current, yet somehow it doesn't get disseminated to the public. So the molecules that get a tremendous amount of press today are NMN, which basically works to increase your NAD levels. And you need your NAD levels at a certain level in order for your sirtuins to function at a high level. The sirtuins is a gene that makes a, a sirtuin protein. And that sirtuin protein is the protein that helps with DNA repair. And it also helps with DNA signaling to turn certain genes on and off. So imagine you know, you've got a, a set of DNA that's two feet long and every inch is another gene. Well, every cell in your body has the same DNA in it, but maybe in the brain cell, it's every other gene that's turned off. And maybe in the skin cell, it's every third gene that's turned off. So you need the right pattern of genes turned on and off for your cells to maintain their identity. And that's why the sirtuin NAD, NMN pathway is so important. So that's one of the molecules. The second molecule is, um, uh, we'll talk about berberine. So berberine basically works on the AMPK pathway. That's another gene that kind of regulates energy needs for the cell. So you've got a, a section of DNA that makes an AMPK protein. And then that protein is the signaling molecule to help maintain the right energy needs for the cells. Berberine raises your AMPK levels so that your cells can maintain the energy needs that it requires. Now, berberine also does other things. Berberine also raises your sirtuin activity level. It also downregulates a third gene called mTOR. mTOR is the gene that we want to downregulate because when we downregulate it, we are stimulating our cells to recycle misfolded proteins that are circulating in the cell. And if you don't recycle them, they continue to circulate in the cell and create almost clutter or traffic. And as the cell gets jammed up with all this excess floating protein, it loses its efficiency and it loses its identity. So berberine has a lot of good functions. Berberine also helps to maintain your blood glucose levels. You hear a lot about berberine because it's in products like Golo. But you need a certain concentration of all of these. You need a certain dosage. And the berberine that I have in Rebasana is 1,000 milligrams. Berberine also acts as an antioxidant, again, to help get rid of the free radicals. The free radicals basically scavenge electrons from different molecules in your cells and actually damage them. They damage your DNA. They oxidize your cell membrane. They make your cell membranes more leaky and permeable. So we want to hit on every one of these categories, antioxidants, maintain glucose, you know, downregulate mTOR, activate AMPK, and activate sirtuins, and that's what berberine does. So the third molecule in resveratrol, I'm sorry, in Revisada is resveratrol. And resveratrol is a very potent activator of sirtuins. Uh, there are some articles that indicate it can increase sirtuin activity by 13-fold. It's pretty impressive. Resveratrol also activates AMPK, also downregulates mTOR, also helps maintain blood glucose, also provides antioxidants. So that's the third molecule in Rebasana. The fourth molecule is quercetin. So quercetin also is a sirtuin activator, but the nice thing about quercetin is it's a senolytic. It gets on that senolytic pathway to help get rid of the zombie-like cells or senolytic cells. And senolytic cells are cells that have basically lost their identity. But the problem with them is they remain in your tissues taking up space. And they also excrete these inflammatory molecules that affect surrounding cells. So instead of having a nice homogeneous sheet of cells in your skin or your kidney or your liver or anywhere, you now get this kind of patchwork of cells, normal cells mixed in with these zombie-like cells. So quercetin is a, is a molecule that has tremendous potential in the health span and lifespan field because it helps to eliminate those senolytic cells. Quercetin also in my field in orthopedics 
There are articles that indicate in animal models, it helps to reverse and even eliminate degeneration so that you can maintain a healthier disc space in your spine. Though, I mean, it has not been used in human experiments yet, but the human experiments are typical because, you know, we're not dissecting humans to, to see the change with this degeneration, but tremendous possibilities with quercetin. And the fifth molecule in Rebusana is Astragalus, which is separate from the, the other four. Astragalus is present in Rebusana because it's felt to work on the telomeres to help maintain the telomere length. The telomeres are like the metal tips on the end of your shoelace. They prevent the shoelace from fraying. The telomeres prevent your DNA from fraying on the ends. And when the, when the telomere gets short enough, the cell basically shuts down, dies, or becomes a senolytic or zombie cell. So if you can maintain the length of your telomere, again, it goes a long way to maintaining the identity of that cell. So those are the, the five molecules or compounds in Rebasana that try and touch on all of those seven pathways that, that I mentioned. And, and I will tell you, dose matters. You know, just like we've heard the phrase, words matter, dose matters. When you look at a lot of these things that are on the market, the dose is just too low. You need a certain dose because not all of these molecules are absorbed to a great degree. So you have to really have a high enough concentration to get these into your system. And the berberine's a thousand milligrams, the resveratrol's 750 milligrams, the quercetin's a thousand milligrams, the NMN is 300 milligrams, the astragalus is 1500 milligrams. So it's a lot. And most people don't realize these are almost all fat soluble, just like vitamin D. You've got to take them with a fatty substance, a yogurt, an olive oil for them to really be absorbed. Otherwise, you're just not going to maximally benefit from them. So, I created Rebasana to make it easy and convenient for the public to have a comprehensive supplement that's convenient based on, you know, science, based on cutting edge research, uh, so that everybody can participate in this. I don't think people should pick and choose which cellular pathway they want to participate in. You want to participate in all of them. And I would kind of shocked to find out that there was no other product on the market that covered all these aspects. And look, we want these circulating in our bodies all the time. So you want to take these on a daily basis. And if you can, you want to take them divided up throughout the day, but you do the best you can. You have to take them all at once, once a day, then that's the way you do it. But I wanted to create a formula that was easy for the, for the public to participate in every one of these categories. The other interesting thing before I get off this topic is that the formula is felt to be synergistic, meaning the whole is worth more than the sum of the parts. When you take some of these together, the, the benefit is amplified. So that was the, the concept behind Rabasana to, to provide to the public this all-inclusive, comprehensive supplement. That's one of the, you answered my question right there at the end, because I think that that's one of the things that a lot of folks lose sight of. What they'll do is they'll, they'll, be scrolling through Instagram or something, and all of a sudden they'll see, well, they'll you know they go and get really crazy. They go, oh my gosh, metformin is not just for diabetes, but it can also help me, you know, you know towards my anti aging process or it, mm -hmm. it, NMN or so, they'll, they'll they'll individually hear about these supplements and they'll just go down to natural grocers or somewhere and buy it and start taking it because I know one of the things and it helped me understand because I just heard this this week. I'm a I've taken berberine for some time now for mm -hmm. mainly for the glucose management. Yeah. And, but I've also heard that berberine is one of those that can be tougher to absorb, especially based on the quality of berberine that you're taking. So what, so based on this cocktail that you've created, that you devised, well, does this help make the berberine more effective? So berberine, you know, again, itself may not be absorbed, but the metabolites of berberine are absorbed. Yeah. So a lot of these are metabolized in the GI system. And, you know, that question comes up a lot. You know, are you really absorbing them? Or are you really benefiting from them? So look, that's, that's almost an old concept. That, that idea of are you absorbing them is, is, is almost old now, because even if you don't absorb the exact molecule of berberine, you're absorbing the metabolite of berberine, which we know is still having the same benefits on the end organ. 
And that goes true with resveratrol or quercetin and even astragalus, which is the least absorbed. But astragalus may have the greatest benefit in the GI system. So all of these are basically the best we can do today. And in the future, something else may become available. But right now, this is the best we can do. We know berberine will help control your blood sugar. We know berberine will also help lower your LDL levels. And we know it does that, even though a small percentage of it is absorbed, we know the metabolites are absorbed and are equally as effective. So yeah, I mean, that's why the doses are large. Like I actually uh, did a, a, an article for a magazine and I was, when I was, when I was reading the, the article, when it got published, I saw some of the advertisements uh, in the margins for berberine and the dose was 200 milligrams. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, my article really didn't get into the dosage because the, the editor changed certain aspects of it. But the dose is just way too low. You know, you're not going to benefit to the degree that we want to in the discussion that we're having with the dose of 200 milligrams. So that's why I try to, you know, put this together with doses that are meaningful to everybody. So... Now that we know kind of, now this is supplementation that is targeted to those, those signaling molecules that are targeted to cellular integrity and overall health. If I were to come to you and say, doc, here's the deal. I'm well, 48 years old. And I do not, like I, like I've told my buddy Gus, I do not want to cross that 50 year old barrier. And now I'm a, I'm a pretty healthy guy, but let's assume that I'm not in that good of health. And mm-hmm. I just, I just think, you know what, doc, I know I'm too old to really do anything. I just want to kind of get a little better. What do you say to that person that says, I'm too old. I've waited too long. I've done too, too much damage for too long. What do you say to that patient when they come to see yeah. you? Look, excellent question. And the science is at any age, you can benefit. At any age, you can start to see biological age reversal. So it's never too late. I keep hammering to my patients, even though I'm seeing them for orthopedic spine issues. You know, when I get the chance to talk to them about this topic, I let them know that at any age you can start and every day makes a difference. So look, some of the things that we do when we're growing up in our 30s and 40s and and even younger may be a one-way street, but a lot of this stuff is reversible. And people, look, if you've done irreversible harm, there's nothing you can do. But that doesn't mean you still can't benefit from these categories. And, and that's the take-home message. Every day makes a difference. And at any age, you can benefit from this, from this science. I love that you said that too, like that your patients that you come to, you actually get the opportunity to discuss these things with them because that's one of the things that's shocking to me is, and I get it with, especially like, general practitioners in, in particular, they're just so pressed with all the the administrative tasks they have to do. It's such a prescribed and di- or diagnose, prescribed, diagnose, prescribed. And truly just give me kind of from now let's, we've kind of hit on some micro back out to a macro as a physician. How much does it, how much, how many levers and how much control do we have over our overall health, both from an orthopedic standpoint, an internal standpoint, Give this audience some understanding of just how much power we have at our disposal should we decide to to use it. Look, I think the power that's at at our disposal today is tremendous. But people need to understand there's a trinity, a triad of things, exercise, signal molecules, and diet. And you got to participate in all of them. We're focusing in on the signal molecules, but when we touch on diet and exercise, I'm going to tell you how those two categories also affect these same seven pathways. But look, I think doctors are in the field of medicine. This field of longevity and health span is honestly right now still in the field of sire. It's different. And there hasn't been a lot of crossover yet. I speak to a lot of my colleagues and look, if they don't have a strong background in chemistry or nutritional biochemistry, They don't know what these pathways are anymore. Understanding transcription and translation on them today, 
You know, what's needed to be a physician today is being able to take blood pressure, read an x-ray, prescribe a prescription, uh, a medication. This is different. And this is why I'm so excited about this field, because I think the doctors have the greatest platform. They have the doctor-patient relationship. They've got the trust. We've got to take this, this field by the horns right now and wrestle it to the ground, because we can make the greatest impact with the public. The public will listen to us, but it's not easy. You know, you don't see this topic on the news or in, in newsprint as much as it should be, but it's very valuable. You know, maintaining cellular identity, decelerating aging, reversing aspects of aging. What else do we want? I mean, it doesn't matter how many toys or dollars you have if you don't have your health at the end of the day. You know, you, you that's a that's a great point. I always like to say that Warren Buffett, I guess, worth around $114 billion. I guarantee you, if you're a 25-year-old and you don't have a penny to your name, Warren Buffett would trade play, trade you his billions for your age any day of the week and twice on Sunday. I mean, mm-hmm. and the older I get and the more I appreciate that, the more I was. And that's what I always tell young people that whether it's financial management or health management, mm-hmm. I always tell them, if you have youth, you're already wealthy. You've and you've, yeah. you've got a wealth that cannot be accumulated it's it's you've got to take care of it you got to really steward it one of the things that let, okay so we've gotten to the 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 molecular the ceiling molecules let's go to one of my favorite things to talk about is is the physical side of it the, the yeah. training and you know kind of and, and and feel free to give me you know your 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 protocol that you that yeah you, i want to know and what you would tell just the average person out there who Let's take it that person that hears this. And because a lot of people that, that call me and contact me, it's really fun. They'll say, Hey, I was listening to, they'll, they'll say it. They'll, you know, I was listening to you and, and Dr. Carl talk. And now I'm going to start exercising. Mm-hmm. What should that person start to do? Okay. And look, this is again, not random. This is again, extremely well studied. So look, when people talk about exercise, they've got to talk about four specific categories strength training aerobic conditioning, balance function, and stretching. You don't pick and choose which category you want to do. Like I was talking to somebody recently who told me he does a lot of hiking. Well, that's great, but that's not hitting on all four of these categories. If you want to be the best you can be, you want to hit on all four of these categories. So look, before we even get into these four categories, just in general, exercise, what does it do on a cellular molecular level? Well, Exercise has found out a lot of genetic uh, benefits. It maintains your telomere length. It promotes DNA repair. It produces antioxidants to fight against oxidative stress. It reduces inflammation. It improves your immune function. It improves your metabolic health. And it actually promotes mitochondrial biogenesis where you make more mitochondria in your cells. So there is a genetic explanation why exercise is good on a molecular genetic level. You are, again, nudging those seven pathways in our favor when you exercise. But just so people know that these four categories are important, you know, with regards to strength, we know over age 30, you lose 3 to 8% of muscle mass per decade. Over age 60, you lose like 1% to 2% per year. Over age 50, you lose muscle strength by about one to 2% per year. So if you don't exercise, you are just going to constantly deteriorate. You need to maintain your strength as you get older. If you want to run, you need to have a VO2 max of at least 50. If you want to jog, you have to have a VO2 max of 35. If you want to walk upstairs as you get older, you have to have a VO2 max of at least 20. And we know our VO2 max declines as we get older as well. So if you want to, if you want to be at a certain level at a certain point in your life, you can backtrack and see where you have to be now. Um, balance is obviously incredibly important for the listeners that follow a lot of the golfers out on TV. They've got lots of videos that show their workout routine. They're almost always combining strength training with balance, doing one-legged squats on, uh, on a bobble board. They're d- reproducing their sway standing on one leg. Balance and proprioception are incredibly important. Stretching, the yoga, you got to do it. You've got to get on the floor and you've got to be able to get into all the poses. 
some of the joints, the, the nutrients get into your cartilage by you milking the nutrients into the cartilage. If you're not going through that full range of motion, you're not keeping the cartilage in your joints at an optimum. So all four of those categories are, are important. You can't pick and choose them. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, exercise is a form of adversity and adversity, as long as it doesn't hurt you or hurt your body will ultimately make you stronger. So exercise falls into that category, you know, and medically the, the medical toxicology term is hormesis. You know, what doesn't hurt you probably makes you stronger in the long run. So that's where all of this cold, uh, hot sauna, ice plunge type stuff comes into play. It, it, it stresses the cells and it stimulates these longevity pathways in the cells. And that's basically what exercise does. It's not just about exercising for the, for the, the, the purpose of exercising. You are maintaining cellular identity by exercising and by hitting all four of those categories. So exercising is key and there's a cellular genetic explanation as to why it's valuable, not just urban myth. One of the things too, going back to the question of, is it too late or not? I was listening to, I don't remember where I heard this, but it was a, it was some research that was done, I think on cross country skiers. And there's, cause there's always been this kind of assumption or based on some, I guess maybe it was research back. You would know better than me where about age, maybe 50, then our VO2 max really starts to take a dive. And mm -hmm. it was just kind of this accepted thing that you can never do that. But then they started studying these cross country skiers that were like over 80 and and they were able to pull their VO2 max up into the 30s, which maybe, yeah. for, you know, I'm still, fortunately, I'm you know, at 48 and I'm very active. I keep mine around that 50 mark. But I'm just, I'm thinking, wow, if I'm like in my 70s or 80s and I can have a VO2 max of 30, I can still walk up hills. I can still travel. And it's remarkable just how much we can do as long as we continue on the path, right? Yeah. And the, the VO2 max is a good physiologic measurement of how healthy you are too, because it really does take into account a lot of different things. But yeah, you can work on your VO2 max at any age and try and improve upon it. Um, I play a lot of squash. I'm addicted to the game. And, you know, I, it takes a lot for me to lose my breath jogging on a treadmill. Like I, I find it boring. I don't like it. So people have to find what they like. Right. Because otherwise you just tend to abandon it, but you can't, you can't abandon worrying about your VO2 max, just like you can't abandon the balance exercises or the stretching or the strength training. You got to hit on all of them and they all are important. And, and like people will say to me sometimes, you know, my, my grandmother lived to be 97, you know, she's got good genes. I don't, think I have much to worry about. What people don't realize is probably who they are is 20% of the genes they got from their parents. 80% of who they are is how they influence their genes throughout their, their life. Their parents lived in a different era, less pollutants, less, you know, uh, O2, you know, uh, UV radiation penetrating the ozone layer, less microplastics. So people have to realize that that's old fashioned to say something like that. You know, I, I kind of refer to that as the optimism bias. They just are optimistically thinking, I got nothing to worry about. It won't happen to me. And then all of a sudden it happens to them. People need to realize that, you know, there's no silver bullet out there. There's no big bang theory out there for maintaining health and longevity. It's all about this incremental step-by-step -step process throughout life. And look, we're trying to break down health into this individual component of cellular health and, and let all of these incremental changes, whether it's exercise, diet, or signal molecules, incrementally promote a long and healthy uh, uh, life. And that's the goal here. People think that these small, minor tweaks and changes are relatively insignificant, but over time they make a difference. And, and it's just hard to convince people because it's hard to measure that this type of incremental gain throughout life, that's where it's all at today. And I get it. It's boring. It's not a silver bullet. It's not a big bang theory. But that's what the science is telling us today. Throughout life, you should be doing this. And if you start late, you can still benefit. I, I love that. 
doc, because I know that like the motto of this show is to improve always and always. And I'm constantly talking about if you can just get that 1% better each and every day compounded, that's where it comes in long-term. It doesn't have to be like some soul crushing workout and you go like you're training for a triathlon every day. It truly is just, just a little better and a little better. Yeah. Which brings us to one of the things that living with you know the western diet and right now where you can go crush 1500 calories and basically gum it you don't even have to chew it it's just i mean we just we i was talking to someone that had just done a a mission trip and they said you know the 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 biggest problem it was in uganda and he's he made the point they don't necessarily have a nutrition problem the food they have has nutritional density the problem is they just don't have enough of it you come to America, mm-hmm. it's the exact opposite. We have way too much food, but yeah. the nutritional value of so much of the food that we have these days is just garbage. So when it comes to speaking nutritionally, what is your what is your prescription for that? Yeah. So again, we're going to talk about how diet is used to maintain our cellular identity. And what we eat and how we eat it are both important. So in terms of what we eat, look, I'm a big believer in a diet that provides nutrients that our cells need, a diet that interacts with our seven genetic pathways, a diet that plays a role in promoting recycling of our misfolded proteins. And that diet is basically a plant-centered diet. I don't think there's a lot of question about which diet is the best diet today. The plant-centered diet provide everything we need to nudge all those longevity pathways as much as we can in our, in our favor. Now, look, people just assume a plant-based diet is a low-protein, di- protein-deficient diet, which is a fallacy. You can get enough protein in a plant-based diet. Uh, you need proteins to build muscle, repair muscles. You need proteins for making enzymes and hormones. You need fats for cellular membranes. You need carbohydrates for cellular energy. So you need it all. And you get it all through a plant-centered diet. Um, now, there's this obsession right now with uh, bulk and, and protein. Look, I'm not saying you want a low-protein diet. You still have to have the right amount of protein. But you want to take advantage of the plant-centered diet because it provides the complex carbohydrates so that you don't get a boost in your blood sugar. And it provides all the nutrients you need. I, I, I'm not a fanatic about it. I'll have some occasional meat and, and fish. But the downside to a high-protein diet for me is that it upregulates your mTOR, which you need when you want to build muscle mass. But the problem with constantly upregulating mTOR is you're not recycling your proteins. And if you don't recycle them, like, it, for instance, the brain, you've probably heard of beta amyloid plaques associated with Alzheimer's and cognitive decline. Those beta amyloid plaques are felt to be misfolded proteins that accumulate and, st- and clog up the works in the cell, get excreted into the cellular milieu, and, and gum up the works. It prevent neurotransmission. So... You know, it's it's a balancing act. It's like a Goldilocks issue. Not too much, not too little, but just the right amount of protein. And I think you get that with the plant-based diet. So for me, and I know this argument is out there, there are some very vocal people out there, very influential, that are really big on promoting a high-protein diet, especially as we get older. Look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lot older than you. Um, I don't feel as though I'm losing any muscle mass. I monitor my strength. I monitor the diameter of my arms and legs to see if any muscle atrophy is occurring. I do not feel protein deficient at all. And I know as long as I'm maintaining my muscle mass, I'm getting enough proteins. So I, I'm just not a big believer in the high protein uh, diets. Um, but people should not misinterpret that as meaning you don't need proteins. You still need you know, the right amount of proteins. And, and that could be different for everybody. You know, the, F- the Food and Drug Administration wants you to have 0.8 milligrams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Some, some articles indicate you should have as much as two milligrams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Everybody's got to see where they fit into that and, and what works for them. 
So I'm a big believer in the plant-based, plant-centered diet. A lot of Mediterranean-type diets, you know, which is largely plant-based. I'm also a very big believer in the fermented, you know, tempeh-type foods, the non-soy fermented foods. Um, So it's not just what you eat, it's how you eat it. And this, again, could be argued, but intermittent fasting is important. It helps to downregulate mTOR and, again, nudge that cellular pathway in our favor. It seems to have numerous benefits when we study intermittent fasting on mammals. People will question whether when we do these experiments on mice, whether it truly translates to human. Look, I understand that these are hard to measure. And this gets us into the idea where the public is just obsessed with measurement. We know that there are theoretically benefit to intermittent fasting. We should accept it, not question them because we don't have a tape measure to measure the benefits. And I kind of refer to that as the measurement fallacy today. We, we're so obsessed with measurements today, but we know theoretically intermittent fasting works. So just accept it and let's move on until we can document it one way or the other. I don't think people should avoid the benefits of intermittent fasting. So that's why I say what you eat and how you eat is important. Okay, so the people whose hair caught on fire when you started talking about protein, you kind of calmed them down a little bit whenever you, you you were favorable towards intermittent fasting. I already, because you know, that it's gotten to the point, Doc, where whenever you're talking about nutrition, people, their hair catches on fire depending on which <laughs> you're in, especially the, 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 the two milligrams of protein versus the 0.8, you know, they're mm-hmm. like, all right, but one of the things that I wanted to ask you with regard to a plant-based diet in particular, do you recommend more essential amino essential amino acid supplementation to account for some of the less protein that you're going to take in, or should you not worry about that, or, you, or do you want to get it all from the the plant-based resource the sources that you have? So when I, when I have a non-sort tempeh, I typically have it with a grain or a rice so that it becomes a complete protein. You know, when I have quinoa, I have a complete protein. When I have, you know, all my vegetables and, and salads and grains and nuts, I am, I am not vitamin, I am not amino acid deficient. Now you, you, you basically can get all your amino acids through the nuts, the seeds, the plants, the grains. To think that you can't is just wrong. And, you know, I think some people just are such proponents and they are speaking so loudly about the fact that you have to have meats and steaks and, and hamburgers and chicken, and you don't. And I look, I, I rarely eat them anymore. And I am not protein deficient. I am not branched-chain amino acid deficient. I am not atrophying. I'm not developing sarcopenia or muscle atrophy. And I don't like, if you look at like Tom Brady, for instance, he now, you know, talks about the Tom Brady diet. It's 80% plant based, 20%, you know, meats and, and fish. Arnold Schwarzenegger, from a proponent now of a plant based diet, even Schwarzenegger was, will say, I can get the overwhelming majority of protein that I need through a plant based diet. The big advantage of the plant-based diet is you'll get a lot of complex carbohydrates versus the simple carbohydrates. And those complex carbohydrates help to keep you full so you don't eat as much. They help to monitor and maintain your blood sugar so your blood sugar doesn't spike. You know, a lot of the meats have a lot of the omega-6 fatty acids in them. So you're getting your omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio out of whack and, you know, your, your fatty acids are making up the cell membranes of every cell in your body. We are changing the permeability of every cell in our body. It used to be our omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio was anywhere from 4 to 1, 1 to 1, or 1 to 4. Now some articles say it's as high as 15 or 20 to 1. We are changing the cellular makeup of every cell in our body. And most of the fat in meats, for instance, are the omega-6 fatty acids. So I want to do everything I can to decrease the omega-6 fatty acids in my diet. And taking omega-3 fatty acids does not offset that. You know, I will tell you, I know people talk about taking omega-3 fatty acids, you know, 
to help as a blood thinner and to help for cardiovascular health. Very few people are omega-3 deficient. You know, the signs of omega-3 deficiency are skin issues, skin rashes. I mean, if you, you know, study what omega-3 fatty acid deficiency looks like, I would venture to say it's an extremely small percentage of the population that need uh, to worry about that. Just like probably very few people need to worry about certain vitamin deficiencies like zinc and magnesium. You know, you want to take them, take them, but don't put them on the same level as these three categories that we're talking about. You know, you, we probably are all in need of a, v, a vitamin D replacement or supplement. We probably intimately need to take B12 if we're plant-based, but you get all the minerals you need essentially through a plant-based diet. Is it fair to say as well that if my mitochondria are more efficient, then mm -hmm. I don't require as it, the number of calories, I guess, to feel satiated. I mean, if I'm not, if I'm burning my calories as efficiently as possible, because I got to think someone like you, how old are you, doc? You don't mind me asking. So I'm 62. Oh, you look amazing. Yeah. And so, <laughs> no, I mean it. So somebody like you, you, you play squash all the time. You're very healthy. You're, you're not losing lean body mass. You're on a plant-based diet. So you're, you're expending a lot of calories. Yeah. But, but what is your caloric intake? And again, am I correct in thinking that since you're kind of in a holistic way, nutrition, exercise, all of it, keeping that mitochondria healthy, you're going to actually burn your calories more efficiently. So therefore that's going to be an added benefit as well. Am I thinking about that properly? Yeah. Yeah. And look, you know, I think people need to understand when you eat something like a bagel, the carbs, the carbohydrates from that bagel are converted to glycogen. 75% of that goes into your muscle. 25% of that gets stored in your liver. After the first 1,600 calories of what you eat, everything else pretty much is stored as triglycerides. So when you feel your love handles around your waist, those are fat cells, adipose cells filled with triglycerides. That's the way your body stores energy that it doesn't need when you eat. So the excess triglycerides, some of them may continue to circulate in the blood, but most of them are stored in your adipose cells as triglycerides. We don't want that visceral fat because that visceral fat, like around your belly button area, is also associated with harmful inflammation. But, you know, just to give your listeners an idea, every pound of body weight is considered about equivalent to 3,500 calories. So if you consistently consume an excess of 3,500 calories beyond your body's energy, you're potentially resulting in a pound of body fat storage. So what you eat, you're basically burning with your activities of daily living and your exercise throughout the day. And that's kind of what we want. We don't want to be storing a lot of this. Your body has a lot of glycogen storage in the muscles, a lot of glycogen storage in the liver. And if you run low on energy needs, your body is incredibly efficient at breaking down the glycogen and, and if it has to, it can also break down the triglyceride and convert that to energy that the cells need. All right. So one of the questions I love to ask anyone like you is kind of your daily routine. What, I mean, you're, you're busy, you're a physician, so you yeah. already rest schedule, but you're also yeah. keeping yourself in incredible uh, shape physically. What does your day look like? So my day, like I, I, and this goes back to, to residency, the day was always so busy. I, I don't think I, I'm not a breakfast eater. Nice. And this goes back to getting up early in the morning to make rounds in the hospital and things like that. So I very rarely eat breakfast and my body is used to that. And look, I wasn't eating breakfast before I understood the value of this intermittent fasting category where you eat basically once a day. I'm also not much of a lunch eater. I usually don't take time during the day to eat lunch. So unknowingly for probably 30 years, I've been an intermittent faster. I basically can eat once a day and, and feel very good with that. And it's, you know, it's, I think Sinclair was talking about how your body gets used to eating once a day after about six weeks. There's no urge to eat anymore. Your body needs a steady supply of glucose. So it breaks down, you know, the glycogen in the liver through gluconeogenesis. So it supplies the steady state of glucose 
to your body and your cell needs. And so can I my, say real quick, yeah, uh, yeah. one of the things that's done for me too, I'm the same way on the intermittent fasting. It's just, I mean, I do it and I did start it as a habit of intermittent fasting. Now, I feel much worse. If I were to eat breakfast, man, I feel by, by lunch or especially by dinner, I feel like I'm, it's like Thanksgiving or something. I feel sluggish. It's yeah. full. I mean, it just, it, so it's kind of the opposite for me. So when I hear people say, oh, I just couldn't do that. I'm like, do it. If you'll just try for a while, you, you, it, it makes you feel much worse for eating. Oh yeah. Your body does get used to it, but it takes about six weeks. Yeah. Uh, I never really felt like I had to get used to it because I think I've just unconsciously done it unknowingly for decades. But, you know, this idea of breakfast being the most important meal of the day, there's no science behind that. You know, that's good, that's good lobbying in Washington, I think. Yeah. From yeah. the, <laughs> from industry. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the same goes along with that commercial, you got to have milk or, you know, the orange juice industry promoting orange juice. Those were, those were not medical recommendations. Those were advertising agencies that came up with those slogans. So the science doesn't support that. And look, I, I would urge everybody to try. I, I recognize it's awkward. You will go through a feeling of almost withdrawal. Like when you start giving up sugary stuff, you'll go through a feeling of withdrawal. It takes a long time. You don't realize how addicted you are to these. But just getting back to that feeling that you describe when you eat a big breakfast, how tired you feel. So what's happening is you're spiking your blood sugar up. Your body has to respond. It creates you know, a high insulin level to, to drop that glucose level down in your blood. And that's what gives you that postprandial feeling of, of being tired. And that's not what we want. We don't want to keep spiking our blood sugar up by eating certain things at breakfast, bagels and toast, you know, white bread with butter, all of those things just spike our blood sugar. Look, one thing I love is that you know, people are wearing these glucose monitors more and more. And I've heard that the Apple Watch is going to come out with a glucose monitor or on the watch, similar to the way it does figuring out your O2 sat. And I mean, that's going to be a tremendous breakthrough for people to see how their blood sugar spikes with what they eat. I would venture to say 60, 70% of America is a pre-diabetic or pre-diabetics right now. Yep. They don't know what their hemoglobin A1C level is, and it's high. So people need to be aware these are the three basic categories that they got to focus on. Signal molecules, diet, and exercise. And if they can get this right, they're going to get 90% of what they need to do correct. All right, I'm going to keep being nosy because I cut you off. I want to mm -hmm. continue with your routine. Okay, okay, so usually not eating till probably yeah. after lunch, maybe just a one meal. And then throw in, I want to know your physical training. I want to, and I also want yeah. to know what you do like to keep your brain health. The yeah. So, yeah. So I, I basically don't exercise until late in the evening. Okay. Cause I usually get home late. If I, if I, if I have a pre late afternoon, I usually go to the golf course. I usually go to the gym in the evening and I have a gym in my house. And my, my gym routine is to get on the treadmill every day. To run at a good pace, I try and run two miles a day. I, when I'm done with my running, I then uh, do my sit-ups, push-ups, and weights. Then I do my yoga, stretching, and then I do all my balance exercises. And look, I can get all that done within a half an hour. Yeah. It's just boom, 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 I'm done. Right. If I, if I play squash, I still try and get in the gym, no matter whether I'm playing squash or playing golf, I still get in the gym. If I walk 18 holes, I still get in the gym every day. And usually my squash is in the evening as well. And I still like playing tournament squash. The, the one hard thing about tournament squash in New York City is there's no age bracket. <laughs> you play with, I'm playing against people a lot younger than me, and I'm, it's getting harder and harder for me to progress in the brackets, but I love it. I'm addicted to it. I still feel like I got, you know, a few good tournaments left in me. Um, so... Once I get all that done from an exercise perspective, I usually sit down when all that's done and I, I get on the computer and I start reading every article that got posted or published that day in the field of health and longevity. Because I'm passionate about this field now. I, I just don't want anything to get out there that I haven't read. If it's 
if it's a, a night before I'm in the OR, I go over all my cases that I have the night before so that I'm mentally prepared and I've run through every operation the night before. That's part of my routine. I'm not much for TV. And I, I only eat pretty much that one dinner meal late, late afternoon, early evening. And, and that's kind of what I do throughout the day. Now you're doing a lot in the evening. How are you managing your sleep to make sure you maintain good sleep quality? Okay. So that's probably the one area that I'm not really you know, checking off <laughs> you all doctors, the doctors, man. Y'all have the worst sleeping. But, it's that residency. You just can't shake it. Yeah. Part of the problem is I'm not used to it. I, I, I've led that life for 30 years and it's hard to change that habit. I've always been a terrible sleeper. I actually wrote a book. And if your listeners want a fun read about what it's like to go to medical school and residency, specifically orthopedics, it's called Shoot the Moon. But, you know, it, it talks about how during residency and medical school, there's just a lot of stuff to do. And I'll just tell you this one little story. When I was in Seattle doing an orthopedic trauma rotation, I'm in the library working on a publication and the chairman of the department, Paul Anderson, walked in and on the shelf was every uh, publication from the Journal of American Orthopedic Surgery. And he said to me, he goes, you know, Carl, if you really want to be good in this field, you got to read through all of them. I mean, this was a monstrous library. And Paul was right. Whether you read the entire article or you read the abstract of every one in those volumes, it'll re you'll remember them. It gives you a broad understanding. It lets you see the big picture. So there wasn't a whole lot of time for sleep. And, you know, uh, that's the one box I do not check off. It's a tough one. And, you know, I'm the same way. I average about six and a half hours and something happened. I, I did get poison ivy here recently, a horrible case of poison ivy. So I had to take some steroids and I'm thinking that might be what the what the deal is. But as far as right now, my deep sleep, because I, I wear a, an aura ring, you know, and mm -hmm. I hope, right? So my, which by the way, my, youngest daughter who she and her sister who i told you her their grandfather grew up in morristown actually mm -hmm. my youngest she's a type one diabetic she just moved to to man well she's working in manhattan and she lives in jersey city so mm -hmm. so i've got all kinds of connections up there with you doc so we'll, maybe we'll be able to connect mm -hmm. go to new york all the time i'd love to shake your hand oh. in person but i'm telling you man i always i i like to think i was in tune with my health all for for a pretty long time but she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes whenever she was 17, 16. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that was six years ago now. Uh, this February it was six years ago. And and man, the, the you learn what your you, you, how vital insulin is and, mm -hmm. and managing that blood sugar. And it all has to do with how the sleep, the cold, the exercise, yeah. all of it. It is so is so imperative you maintain yeah. that. Yeah, no, that that condition of diabetes touches on so many physiologic processes. And to understand diabetes, you understand a lot of physiology. You understand okay. how important exercise is in metabolizing the glucose, where the, the muscles will take the glucose out of the blood and put it into the muscle cells. Yeah, you you understand a lot if you understand diabetes. Yeah, I think she knows, and thank you know, if there is any silver lining, Abby was already a very healthy eater. She's a foodie and she's, a, she's very health conscious. She's kind of the, I have two daughters and she's kind of like the mini me on being very, almost to a point of obsessiveness. So, you know, it, there is that silver lining in it. Well, well, okay. Well, where can people find out about your work, Dr. Giordano and, and how do they find about, and by the way, just so the listener knows, I, this has, this is in no way sponsored by Rebisana, I was just interested in learning more about it. I, I, you know, I know Dr. Giordano by reputation. So yeah. I want you to, uh, I want to know where can uh, the listeners find that and, and keep up with what you're doing, Doc? Sure. I mean, they can go to my website, Rebisana.com, R-E-B-E-S-A-N-A.com, and they can sign up for the emails. They can read all of the articles on the website. There's a resource section. There's a bibliography section. There's even a blood work section, letting people know what blood work they should get either once or twice a year. You know, I, I'm always amazed 
some of my friends go to the doctor, get their blood work, and they're not getting all the blood work they need to get. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of information on the website and I'm happy for people to just sign up for the emails and just follow along with the information that's on the website. The product itself, Repasana, is also available on the website, but you know, feel free to try and buy those molecules at those doses separately if you want. I'm just trying to make it easy and convenient, and we try to make it as cost-effective as possible for the public. Well, Dr. Giordano, this was so fun, and I hope this isn't the last time you come on the show, man. As a matter of fact, you just yeah. touched on something. We could spend an entire episode talking about blood work. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I know it's something that I've just recently learned. It, the, the, what the insurance companies will, will cover is pretty yes. limiting. And then, by the way, most people don't know what the heck they're looking at anyway, yeah. right? So are they, yeah. I don't know what to ask you, the physician. Hey, I see these numbers. They say good or acceptable, but, you know, and to, to really dig into those. So, man, I'd love to have you yeah. back on. This was so fun. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it a lot. I, look, it's, it's fun for me to talk to somebody who understands the field like you do. So it, it really allows for a great two-way conversation. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that, sir. All right. I'm going to do a quick sign off here. And everyone, thank you so much for joining the Jason Wright Show today. Thank you so much again for Dr. Carl Giordano. Rebisana, go check it out and, and follow him. And remember, until we meet again, never stop endeavoring to improve. Always in all ways. I'm Jason, and I'm out. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. It means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if you enjoyed it, please consider going out to Apple and leaving us a five-star rating. That would mean the world to me. Also, follow me on Insta at Jason right now. And don't forget, download the Vitruvian Lab app. I mean it. I want to be your personal peak performance trainer. I want to help you improve always and always. Lastly, check out my newsletter, The Vitruvian Letter. You can subscribe at jasonrightnow.com. And until we meet again, please continue to endeavor to improve always in always. I'm out. <laughs>